to this week's episode of Dead America. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week we're traveling back in time to the 1800s to look at a very unique individual. This individual was self-taught, he became a lawyer, and eventually he became the United States President. The individual we are speaking of, Abraham Lincoln. Let's not waste any time and dive into this week's episode of Dead America. Abraham Lincoln became the United States 16th president in 1861, issuing the Emancipation Proclamation that declared forever free those slaves within the Confederacy in 1863. Lincoln warned the South in his inaugural address, quote, in your hands, my dissatisfied fellow countrymen, and not in mine, is the momentous issue of civil war. The government will not assail you. You have no oath registered in heaven to destroy the government, while I shall have the most solemn one to preserve, protect, and defend it. Close quote. Lincoln thought secession illegal and was willing to use force to defend federal law and the Union. When Confederate batteries fired on Fort Sumner and forced its surrender, he called on the states for 75,000 volunteers. Four more slave states joined the Confederacy, but four remained within the Union. The Civil War had begun. The son of a Kentucky frontiersman, Lincoln had to struggle for a living and for learning. Five months before receiving his party's nomination for president, he sketched his life. Quote, I was born February 12, 1809 in Hardin County, Kentucky. My parents were both born in Virginia of undistinguished families, second families perhaps, I should say. My mother, who died in my 20th year, was of a family of the name of Hanks. My father removed from Kentucky to Indiana in my 8th year. It was a wild region with many bears and other wild animals still in the woods. There I grew up. Of course, when I came of age, I did not know much. Still, somehow, I could read, write, and cipher. But that was all." Unquote. Lincoln made extraordinary efforts to attain knowledge while working on a farm, splitting rails for fences, and keeping store at New Salem, Illinois. He was a captain in the Black Hawk War, spent eight years in the Illinois legislature, and rode the circuit of courts for many years. His law partner said of him, quote, his ambition was a little engine that knew no rest, unquote. He married Mary Todd, and they had four boys, only one of whom lived to maturity. In 1858, 
Lincoln ran against Stephen A. Douglas for senator. He lost the election, but in debating with Douglas, he gained a national reputation that won him the Republican nomination for president in 1860. As president, he built the Republican Party into a strong national organization. Further, he rallied most of the Northern Democrats to the Union cause. On January 1, 1863, he issued the Emancipation Proclamation that declared forever free those slaves within the Confederacy. Lincoln never let the world forget that the Civil War involved an even larger issue. This he stated most movingly in dedicating the military cemetery at Gettysburg. Quote, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Close quote. Lincoln won re-election in 1864. As Union military triumphs herald an end to the war, in his planning for peace, the president was flexible and generous, encouraging Southerners to lay down their arms and join speedily in reunion. The spirit that guided him was clearly that of his second inaugural address, now inscribed on one wall of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Quote, With malice towards none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds." Close quote. On Good Friday, April 14, 1865, Lincoln was assassinated at Ford's Theater in Washington by John Wilkes Booth, an actor who somehow thought he was helping the South. The opposite was the result, for with Lincoln's death, the possibility of peace with magnanimity died. When we look into the family and childhood of Lincoln, we find in his early life, Abraham Lincoln was born on February 12, 1809, as the second child of Thomas Lincoln and Nancy Hanks Lincoln in a one-room log cabin on Sinking Spring Farm near Hodgenville, Kentucky. He was a descendant of Samuel Lincoln, an Englishman who migrated from Hingham, Norfolk to its namesake Hingham, Massachusetts in 1638. Samuel's grandson and great-grandson began the family's westward migration passing through New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 
Lincoln's paternal grandfather and namesake, Captain Abraham Lincoln, moved the family from Virginia to Jefferson County, Kentucky in the 1780s. Captain Lincoln was killed in an Indian raid in 1786. His children, including eight-year-old Thomas, Abraham's father, witnessed the attack. Thomas then worked at odd jobs in Kentucky and Tennessee before settling with members of his family in Hardin County, Kentucky in early 1800s. Lincoln's mother, Nancy, is widely assumed to have been the daughter of Lucy Hanks, although no records documents this. Thomas and Nancy married on June 12, 1806 in Washington County and moved to Elizabethtown, Kentucky. They produced three children, Sarah, born on February 10, 1807, Abraham on February 12, 1809, and Thomas, who died in infancy. Thomas Lincoln bought or leased farms in Kentucky. Thomas became embroiled in legal disputes and lost all but 200 acres of his land in court disputes over property titles. In 1816, the family moved to Indiana, where the survey process was more reliable and land titles were more secure. Indiana was a free, non-slaveholding territory, and they settled in an unbroken forest in Hurricane Township, Perry County, Indiana. Their land eventually became part of Spencer County, Indiana, when the county was established in 1818. In 1860, Lincoln noted that the family's move to Indiana was partially on account of slavery, but mainly due to the land title difficulties. In Kentucky and Indiana, Thomas worked as a farmer, cabinet maker, and carpenter. He owned farms, town lots, and livestock, paid taxes, sat on juries, appraised estates, served on county slave patrols, and guarded prisoners. Thomas and Nancy were members of a separate Baptist church, which forbade alcohol, dancing, and slavery. Overcoming financial challenges, Thomas eventually obtained clear title to 80 acres of land in what became known as the Little Pigeon Creek Community. On October 5, 1818, Nancy Lincoln died of milk sickness, leaving 11-year-old Sarah in charge of a household that included her father, nine-year-old Abraham, and Dennis Hanks, Nancy's 19-year-old orphaned cousin. Ten years later, on January 20, 1828, Sarah died while giving birth to a stillborn son. Lincoln was very distraught over his sister's death. On December 2, 1819, Thomas married Sarah Sally Bush Johnston, a widow from Elizabethtown, Kentucky, with three children of her own, 
Abraham became close to his stepmother, whom he referred to as mother. Lincoln disliked the hard labor associated with farm life. He was called lazy for all of his reading, scribbling, writing, ciphering, writing poetry, etc. His stepmother acknowledged he did not enjoy physical labor, but loved to read. Lincoln was largely self-educated. His formal schooling from traveling teachers was intermittent, totaling less than 12 months. However, he was an avid reader and retained a lifelong interest in learning. Family neighbors and schoolmates recalled that he read and reread the King James Bible. Aesop's Fable, John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, Mason Locke Williams' The Life of Washington, and the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, among others. Teenaged Lincoln took responsibility for chores. He accepted the customary practice that a son give his father all earnings from work outside the home until age 21. Lincoln became expert at using an axe. Tall for his age, Lincoln was strong and athletic. He became known for his strength and audacity after winning a wrestling match with the renowned leader of a group of ruffians known as the Clary Grove Boys. In early March 1830, partly out of fear of another milk sickness outbreak, several members of the extended Lincoln family moved west to Illinois, a free state, and settled in the Macon County 10 miles west of Decatur. Historians disagree on who initiated the move. Thomas Lincoln had no obvious reason to do so. One possibility is that other members of the family, including Dennis Hanks, may not have matched Thomas's stability and steady income. After the family relocated to Illinois, Abraham became increasingly distant from Thomas, in part because of his father's lack of education, although occasionally lending him money in 1831 as Thomas and other family prepared to move to a new homestead in Coles County, Illinois, Abraham left home. He lived in New Salem for six years. Lincoln and some friends took goods by flatboat to New Orleans, where he witnessed slavery firsthand. According to some sources, Lincoln's first romantic interest was Anne Rutledge, whom he met when he first moved to New Salem. These sources indicate that by 1835, they were in a relationship, but not formally engaged. She died on August 25, 1835, most likely of typhoid fever. In the early 1830s, he met Mary Owens from Kentucky. Late in 1836, Lincoln agreed to a match with Owens if she returned to New Salem. Owens arrived in November 1836 
and Lincoln courted her for a time. However, they both had second thoughts. On August 16, 1837, Lincoln wrote Owens a letter suggesting he would not blame her if she ended the relationship. She never replied. In 1840, Lincoln became engaged to Mary Todd, a daughter of Robert Smith Todd, a wealthy slave owner in Lexington, Kentucky. They met in Springfield, Illinois in December 1839 and were engaged a year later. A wedding set for January 1, 1841 was canceled at Lincoln's initiative. They reconciled and married on November 4, 1842, in the Springfield mansion of Mary's married sister. While anxiously preparing for the nuptials, Lincoln was asked where he was going to and replied, quote, to hell I suppose, unquote. In 1844, the couple bought a house in Springfield near Lincoln's law office. Mary kept house often with the help of a relative or hired servant. He was an affectionate, though often absent husband and father of four children. Robert Todd Lincoln was born in 1843 and Edward Baker Lincoln, Eddie, in 1846. Edward died on February 1st, 1850 in Springfield, probably of tuberculosis. Willie Lincoln was born on December 21st, 1850 and died of a fever on February 20th, 1862. The Lincoln's fourth son, Thomas Tad Lincoln, was born on April 4th, 1853 and died of a heart failure at the age of 18 on July 16, 1871. Robert reached adulthood and produced children. The Lincoln's last descendant, great-grandson Robert Todd Lincoln Beckwith, died in 1985. Lincoln was remarkably fond of children, and the Lincolns were not considered to be strict with their own. In fact, Lincoln's law partner, William H. Herndon, would grow irated when Lincoln would bring his children to the law office. Their father, it seemed, was often too absorbed in his own work to notice his children's behavior. Herndon recounted, quote, I have felt many and many a time that I wanted to wring their little necks, and yet, out of respect for Lincoln, I kept my mouth shut. Lincoln did not note what his children were doing or had done." Unquote. The deaths of their son had profound effects on both parents. Abraham suffered from melancholy, a condition later referred to as a clinical depression. Later in life, Mary struggled with the stress of losing her husband and sons, and Robert committed her temporarily to a mental health asylum in 1875. Lincoln's father-in-law and others of the Todd family were either slave owners or slave traders. 
Lincoln was close to the Todds, and he had his family occasionally visited them. Mary cooked for Lincoln often during his presidency. Raised by a wealthy family, her cooking was simple, but satisfied Lincoln's taste, which included imported oysters. Early in Lincoln's career, he bought a general store on credit in New Salem, Illinois. Although the economy was booming, the business struggled and Lincoln eventually sold his share. His second state legislator campaign in 1834 was successful. Although he ran as a Whig, many Democrats favored him over a more powerful Whig opponent. Lincoln served four successive terms in the Illinois House of Representatives as a Whig from Sangamon County. He supported the construction of the Illinois and Michigan Canal, later serving as a canal commissioner. In the 1835 through 1836 legislative session, he voted to expand suffrage beyond white landowners to all white males. He was known for his free soil stance from opposing both slavery and abolitionism. He first articulated this in 1837, saying, quote, The institution of slavery is founded on both injustice and bad policy. But promulgation of abolition doctrines tends rather to increase than abate its evils. Unquote. He followed Henry Clay in supporting the American Colonization Society program of advocating abolition and helping freed slaves to settle in Liberia. Admitted into the Illinois Bar in 1836, he moved to Springfield, Illinois and began to practice law under John T. Stewart, Mary Todd's cousin. Lincoln developed a reputation as a formidable adversary during cross-examinations and closing arguments. He partnered with Stephen T. Logan from 1841 until 1844. Then Lincoln began his practice with William Hendren, whom Lincoln thought a studious young man. He also served in the House of Representatives from 1847 to 1849. Also served on various committees such as Committee on Post Office and Post Roads, Committee on Expenditures in the War Department. Lincoln practiced law in Springfield, handling every kind of business that could come before a prairie lawyer. Twice a year for 16 years, 10 weeks at a time, he appeared in county seats in the mid-state region when the county courts were in session. Lincoln handled transportation cases in the midst of the nation's western expansion, 
particularly river barge conflicts under the many new railroad bridges. As a riverboat man, Lincoln initially favored those interests, but ultimately represented whomever hired him. He later represented a bridge company against a riverboat company in a landmark case involving a canal boat that sank after hitting a bridge. In 1849, he received a patent for a flotation device for the movement of boats in shallow water. The idea was never commercialized, but Lincoln is the only president to hold a patent. In 1851, he represented the Alton and Saginaw Railroad in a dispute with shareholder James A. Barrett who had refused to pay the balance on his pledge to buy shares on the grounds that the company had changed its original train route. Lincoln successfully argued that the railroad company was not bound by its original charter. The charter was amended in the public interest to provide a newer, superior, and less expensive route and that the corporation retained the rights to demand Barrett's payment. The decision by the Illinois Supreme Court was cited by many other courts. Lincoln appeared before the Illinois Supreme Court in 175 cases, in 51 as sole counsel, of which 31 were decided in his favor. From 1853 to 1860, another of Lincoln's largest clients was the Illinois Central Railroad. Lincoln's legal reputation gave rise to his nickname, Honest Abe. On May 9th and 10th, 1860, the Illinois Republican State Convention was held in Decatur. Lincoln's followers organized a campaign team led by David Davis, Norman Judd, Leonard Stewart, and Jesse Du Bois, and Lincoln received his first endorsement. Exploiting his embellished frontier legend, clearing land and splitting fence rails, Lincoln's supporters adopted the label of the rail candidate. In 1860, Lincoln described himself, quote, I am in height, six feet, four inches, nearly lean in flesh, weighing on an average 180 pounds, dark complexion with coarse black hair and gray eyes, unquote. On May 18th at the Republican National Convention in Chicago, Lincoln won the nomination on the third ballot, beating candidates such as Seward and Chase, a former Democrat. Hannibal Hamlin of Maine was nominated for vice president to balance the ticket. Lincoln's success depended on his campaign team, his reputation as a moderate on the slavery issue, and his strong support for Whiggish programs of internal improvements and the tariff. Pennsylvania 
put him over the top, led by Pennsylvania iron interests who were reassured by his tariff support. Lincoln's managers had focused on his delegation while following Lincoln's dictates to make no contracts that bind me. Most Republicans agreed with Lincoln that the North was the aggrieved party. As the slave power tightened its grips on the national government throughout the 1850s, Lincoln doubted the prospects of civil war and his supporters rejected claims that his election would incite secession. Douglas was selected as the candidate of the Northern Democrats. Delegates from 11 slave states walked out of the Democratic Convention, disagreeing with Douglas's position on popular sovereignty, and ultimately selected incumbent Vice President John C. Breckinridge as their candidate. A group of former Whigs and know-nothings formed the Constitutional Union Party and nominated John Bell of Tennessee. Lincoln and Lincoln's campaign team carefully projected his image as an ideal candidate. Michael Martinez wrote, Lincoln and his political advisors manipulated his image and background. Sometimes he appeared as a straight-shooting, plain-talking, common-sense-wielding man of the people. His image as the rail splitter dates from this era. His supporters also portrayed him as Honest Abe, the country fellow who was simply dressed and not especially polished or formal in his manner, but who was as honest and trustworthy as his legs were long. Even Lincoln's tall, gangly frame was used to good advantage during the campaign, as many drawings and posters showed the candidates sprinting past his vertically challenged rivals. At other times, Lincoln appeared as a sophisticated, thoughtful, articulate, presidential candidate. Prior to the Republican convention, the Lincoln campaign began cultivating a nationwide youth organization, the Wide Awakes, which it used to generate popular support throughout the country to spearhead voter registration drives, thinking that new voters and young voters tended to embrace new parties. Lincoln's ideas of abolishing slavery grew, drawing more supporters. People of the northern states knew the southern states would vote against Lincoln and rallied support for Lincoln. As Douglas and the other candidates campaigned, Lincoln was the only one to give no speeches. Instead, he relied on the enthusiasm of the Republican Party. The party did the legwork that produced majorities across the North and produced an abundance of campaign posters, leaflets, and newspaper editorials. 
Thousands of Republican speakers focus first on the party platform and second on Lincoln's life story, emphasizing his childhood poverty. The goal was to demonstrate the superior power of free labor, whereby a common farm boy could work his way to the top by his own efforts. The Republican Party's production of campaign literature dwarfed the combined opposition. A Chicago Tribune writer produced a pamphlet that detailed Lincoln's life and sold 100,000 to 200,000 copies. On November 6th, Lincoln was elected the 16th President of the United States. He was the first Republican president, and his victory was entirely due to his support in the North and West. No ballots were cast for him in 10 of the 15 southern slave states, and he won only two of the 996 counties in all southern states. Lincoln received 1,866,452 votes, or 39.8% of the total in a four-way race. He won the free northern states as well as California and Oregon. Lincoln's victory in the Electoral College was decisive. Lincoln had 180 of his opponents added together had only 123. After the November election, secessionists planned to leave the Union before he took office in March. On December 20, 1860, South Carolina took the lead by adopting an ordinance of secession. By February 1, 1861, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas had followed. Six of these states declared themselves to be a sovereign nation, the Confederate States of America, and adopted a constitution. The Upper South and the border states, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, and Arkansas listened to but initially rejected the succession appeal. President Buchanan and President-elect Lincoln refused to recognize the Confederacy, declaring succession illegal. The Confederacy selected Jefferson Davis as its provisional president on February 9, 1861. Attempts at compromise followed. Lincoln and the Republicans rejected the proposed Crittenden Compromise as contrary to the party's free soil in the territory's platform. Lincoln rejected the idea saying, quote, I will suffer death before I consent to any concession or compromise which looks like buying the privilege to take possession of this government to which we have a constitutional right." Unquote. 
Lincoln did tactically support the proposed Corwin Amendment to the Constitution, which passed Congress before Lincoln came into office and was then awaiting ratification by the states. That proposed amendment would have protected slavery in states where it already existed. A few weeks before the war, Lincoln sent a letter to every governor informing them Congress had passed a joint resolution to amend the Constitution. Lincoln was open to the possibility of a constitutional convention to make further amendments to the Constitution. En route to his inauguration, Lincoln addressed crowds and legislators across the North. The president-elect evaded possible assassins in Baltimore on February 23, 1861. He arrived in disguise in Washington, D.C., which was placed under substantial military guard. Lincoln directed his inaugural address to the South, proclaiming once again that he had no intention or inclination to abolish slavery in the southern states. Apprehension seems to exist among the people of the southern states that by the accession of the Republican administration, their property and their peace and their personal security are to be endangered. There has never been any reasonable cause for such apprehension indeed. The most ample evidence to the contrary has all the while existed and been open to their inception. It is found in nearly all the published speeches of him who now addresses you. I do but quote from one of those speeches when I declare that, quote, I have no purpose directly or indirectly to interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists. I believe I have no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so." Unquote. Lincoln cited his plans for banning the expansion of slavery as the key source of conflict between North and South, stating, quote, one section of our country believes slavery is right and ought to be extended, while the other believes it is wrong and ought not to be extended. This is the only substantial dispute." Unquote. The president ended his address with an appeal to the people of the South, quote, We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and heart stone all over this broad land will yet swell with chorus of the Union when again touched 
as surely they will be by the better agents of our nature." Unquote. The failure of the Peace Conference of 1861 signaled that legislative compromise was impossible. By March 1861, no leaders of the insurrection had proposed rejoining the Union on any terms. Meanwhile, Lincoln and the Republican leadership agreed that the dismantling of the Union could not be tolerated. Lincoln said in his second inaugural address, both parties depreciated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish, and the war came. From there, our precious Union suffered bitter and cold disunion in a bloody civil war. And at the end of that bloody civil war, the conflict led to the assassination of President Lincoln by an actor, John Wilkes Booth. There's much more to be told about Abraham Lincoln. And I encourage you to please go study, learn, and yes, that concludes this episode of Dead America. And make sure you share, like, subscribe, and join us right here next week for another exciting episode of Dead America. Ed Waters, out.